and welcome back to Fully Equipped. Jay Wall, serial killer, RB. We are in studio, boys. I'm very happy to see your faces. Few and far between. I know. Definitely not a bad thing. In yeah. the house. In house, we have been, I shouldn't say we, uh, RB's been traveling a lot. I got out here late last night. You were in here later than me. You came from Piners, buddy. That's a, yeah. It's kind of nice. It was uh, it was not not good. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> it was not not. Good. Uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. We uh, thanks to some, thanks to Golf Ride for the invite. I know they they helped sponsor the Potter this year, and uh, they got some cool stuff coming. So I got to see that. Got to go out and play with it, and uh, had some yeah. Got to enjoy number eight and number two, which I never played before. I actually walked the golf course, but I never actually played it. So uh, that was that was really fun. Did you? I think you left with some hardware. Or oh some, yes, some, yes, yes. I'll let you say, okay, yeah, um, so they have, which I kind of forgot, but then it was in my head like the whole day, was if you get a two on any hole on number two, obviously more focused probably on the par threes, you get a, I made a two on two coin that says deuces and then the year on the on the other side. Oh, that's cool. And so I got to, yeah, I, I definitely made a really big number on one of the other ones on the back nine, but I hit one to like about two feet on 17. And then I walked up and I had to wait for everyone else to putt. And I was like, oh, God, no, no, no. Just don't be, don't miss this. And I, just, and I just went right in the cup and I was like, that was like the most exciting thing. I could have just walked in from there. I really obviously wanted to play a team, but I was like, this is great. Because it's the only thing that, like, the only piece of like souvenir that you have to earn. You can go to the pro shop and go freaking nuts, but like, you can't go in and like, and they ask you too. Like, they, like, the guy at the bar, whether you get them, he's like, do you have a scorecard? He's like, uh, oh, no. Like, we didn't really keep score. Like, we were having fun out there, but like, no, and I said, "Wait, give me a second. I'll show you. I show you the video, because <laughs> I just I had like a had my camera on like a little um, monopod, so I was like shooting stuff around the course. I said, here's my proof.' And he goes, okay, here's your coin. Thanks, dude. That's too cool. So, yeah, I really wanted to earn one of those. It was in my head. Two on two, love that. I, I asked them what happens if I made an eight on eight, and they just were like, that happens all the time. <laughs> That's not special. <laughs> That's not special at Everybody all. Everybody makes an eight on eight. No big deal. They give you a pat on the back. That's yeah. right." Um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully, Golf Pride comes back and sponsors the pod in '24. You never know. Yeah, that'd be nice. It's good. Yeah, yeah. But we have been traveling a lot, and the last week was TaylorMade. Yep, it's. Uh, I was so. so it's been North Carolina, South Carolina, back to Toronto, back to North Carolina, Arizona. Yeah. It's been a. It's been a. It's been a, a eclectic trip so far. Yeah. So we're we're out here today as we record the pod in Scottsdale, and then all three of us are headed to San Diego to do hashtag content under the week so with the man who's not here at the moment say we're gonna hang out with the voice of reason yeah that's oh, it man. that's that where that's now a thing huh i i mean somebody made it a thing so i'm just going along with it i was hoping it would die a, a very swift death anyway um yeah so busy time of the year we get lots of questions because all the new stuff is coming out we've seen some of it haven't seen some of it we're gonna do things a little bit differently this week, I know probably people are wondering if we're going to talk about the the new gear. I mean, do we want to discuss Olsen anymore before before we we just before we get into what this pod is about for this week? I think it's an interesting topic. It is because from Ol- a- Olsen Olsen Putter Company, by the way, Olsen Manufacturing, whatever however you want to call it. I don't yeah. really know if they have like an official name yet, but <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a cool story. Like, I mean. Obviously, a lot of players work with, you know, putter, like, putter comp, OEMs like to have someone who kind of does putters. It's just like a separate kind of standout thing. And, and TaylorMade in the past has had 
Kiyomai. He's still there. Like he he does a lot of work with Spider. And last time we were at HQ, we saw him and said hi and kind of thing like that. Um, but it looks like they they really want to focus in on some different styles of putters, and they've brought in Olsen to do. It, it it sure feels like that. Nothing is official. Yeah. But it it sure feels like they're I I kind of said where there's smoke there's fire because you in the span of what a week you had Scotty Scheffler switch to an Olsen putter at the Hero and then a week later at the Grant Thornton the team event you had Nelly Corda put one in play. So I don't know it the timing of it just feels too perfect. Well, you also have Billy Price that's been with TaylorMade forever, point. retire, yep. and step away from the putter division. Yeah. So, so yeah, it makes there, perfect sense. For sure. There, there's a lot of change. That's a good point. There's a lot of change going on right now, and, and we see new spiders. But, yeah. I mean, we we saw it with Callaway when they when they acquired Toulon. You know, I, I, I kind of view this maybe from a, from a similar playbook. Yeah, you see, you could see Olsen being like that—that that more of the the high end, like CNC, it, you know. And I don't know how much they're gonna they're gonna promote it if that ends up being the case. But it, it sure feels like the two of them are, are now linked, TaylorMade and Olsen. If if you're gonna give someone credit for this, I think the way the Titleist has has talked about their brands with Evoki and Scotty Cameron, like they've definitely created a model for others to attempt. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Like people don't ask for, oh, do you have Titleist wedges? It's like, do you get Vokies? Yep. And no one asks, oh, do you have Titleist putters? Do you have Scotty Cameron? Right. So they, I think, if if that is what they're they're attempting to do or what they're going to do, um, I mean, they've kind of hinted at it with if if again if it is like, you've got two of their their most marquee players switching into their putters like pretty quickly, meaning you know if they're out in the if they're out in the <coughs> wild with them. They've, there's probably been a lot of back-end testing and working with all that stuff. So, 100%. And they look fantastic. Like, that's the really cool thing. I think it's a, it's like a, it's, um, like a bicycle or a car. Like, there's lots of different ways to four-door cars. Mm-hmm. They all look very different. And I think uh, he's got some cool alignment stuff going on with, like, Scotty's putter and yeah, just the yeah. looks and everything. On, yeah. on the top, yeah, for sure. The, alignments, the alignment aid is, is very different. But, yeah, I, I agree. I think putting a face to a category yeah. is, is never a bad thing, and I, I do agree. Titleist with what they've done with with Voke and also with Scotty. I think that's you know, people know it as a Scotty. They don't know it as a as in a Kushnet or or Titleist putter. It's a Scotty Cameron. So yeah, why not? Anyway, so we're gonna do things a little bit different this week. We've been teasing a fully equipped hotline edition of fully equipped. So why the hell not? I, I gotta say, we were talking about this before we started the pod. The, the fully equipped hotline has really taken off, and I'm pleasantly surprised. wasn't quite sure when I told people that they could call and just say whatever they wanted, <laughs> <laughs> what, kind of, what kind of questions we were going to get. But it is it has certainly been nice to hear from the people that listen to the podcast because there's a lot of thoughtful answers, and or I should say thoughtful questions, and we try and give thoughtful answers. But but y'all do a really good job of of asking us hard-hitting questions and things that usually spawn into to some good conversation. So keep it going. If you don't know the number, if you if you want to leave a voicemail, you can call the number, which is 602-935-4974. That's 602-935-4974. Leave us a voicemail. Keep it under a minute, please. I know that for some of you out there, that's not possible. <laughs> that's okay. 
But anyway, that's usually the the name of the game. And with that, let's get into it. We'll put that number in the description too, because I've had a couple people reach out in the past, and they're like, "We got to call in." So I got to put it in our social, yeah, social bios. Make sure that's there. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll do that. But I know Coach has all of the the voicemails for this week teed up. Coach, fire away. (laughs) All right. Well. We're going to start with our friend from North Carolina. But, um, <laughs> I know exactly who that is. Whoever, whoever this is, um, A, listen it's, to Jonathan. It's, Mike, it's li- Mike Taylor. Li- listen to Jonathan's note about <laughs> keeping it under a minute, please, in the future. And two, I, I know you're passionate, but please finish the episode before calling so you have all your thoughts together instead of calling multiple <laughs> times during the same episode. But we still appreciate you. We, we, we really we do. do. We, yeah. we love you. Keep doing it. And, uh, here we go. This one should get us off. Nice nice start. Greetings from North Carolina. So I listened to your Monday podcast this morning. This is Wednesday. So I've, I've caught the second podcast this evening. And, Arby, you have lost your mind. When you start telling me that, oh, I love, everybody loves wedges. I, you know, they made a movie, Happy Gilmore. What was it about? How far happy can hit the ball? That was pretty cool. Uh, nobody chicks dig the long ball. Remember that. They don't say, "Oh, that guy hit a great wedge." And <laughs> when you said that about Roy about hitting that shot, you know, Roy's at that above one percent. You know, if not, you know, one, if not one of the greatest players that's ever played. So, you know. He's got a skill set above most all the players on the tour. Uh, but, you know, when, with the ball rollback, it's going to fetch your Brian Harmons, guys like that that won the Open. And also, one other thing, where does USGA, Gene, where does USGA test golf balls? Do they do it in Arizona? Or do they do it at, like, Los Angeles, like during the, the Genesis Open? Where the ball doesn't go anywhere. Same thing. It, I don't think it gets very far at uh, uh, Forty Pines either. When the marine layer comes in, it's thick. It's not real warm. You know, it, it's optimal kind of. You know, it's not hot. But you know, do they test it in Phoenix where it rolls? You look at R and A, and they, you know, look at their golf courses. Ball rolls out forever. So. Hey, hey, uh, remember, hey, Arby, listen to Gene. Listen to Gene. He's <laughs> the most out of I was wondering if we were going back to Gene here of at the end. Of course we have to. Hey, RB, listen to Gene. Gene's yeah. not here to defend himself. I can't even argue with him now. It's, uh, golf ball testing happens in July in Denver, Colorado. I mean, yeah. that's just <laughs> where golf obviously. ball testing happens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, there's a lot to unpack in that first one. I have a feeling... And only Coach knows because we've tried to just hand off the, the voicemails to him without listening to him in advance so we can get our own organic reactions and responses. But I would venture a guess that that there's going to be a lot of rollback talk on on this one. So I, I don't really know if there was like a whole point to his to his voicemail. I think he was like I would think the the question is like where do they test. Well, I, I, yeah, we'll get to the other stuff later. I mean, we've, we've already unpacked a lot of the rollback. So, yeah, so they, they test the USGA tests in, in New Jersey. And they've actually, from what I've, I was told, they have a, a brand new testing facility that 
is not quite open yet, but it's it's getting there. And a lot of the stuff um, will be in Pinehurst because when I was there, they, they have the big like new USGA building and headquarters and all yeah. that stuff. So yeah. which yeah. is really cool. Yeah. Um, but they test under fairly like standardized conditions. I don't know if New Jersey would necessarily be sea level, but um, yeah, it's the the way that they the way that they test is very similar. I mean, the USJ and the RNA both use genes, golf laboratory swing robot. And as we said before, the only manufacturer who doesn't use Gene's robot is Ping. Everybody else has one of his robots for, for robotic testing. And it, the, the big thing, I, I feel like Gene does all of his testing early in the morning um, at, at his testing site. And it's to try and get the most benign conditions possible. And I've even talked to, to Marty Jertson about this before. You know, they... They will go in and test if they know that they're going to get a good test day, especially when they were then when they're working on ball, for Balnamic and they're testing all the different golf balls. They'll go in at three or four in the morning. Yep, and and start testing because that for them is is the optimal testing condition. So I, I get it. You know, you could you could try and poke holes in like where are you testing and what time are you testing and you know if you're if you're the RNA and you have really firm conditions and there's lots of rollout, but you know it's not like they're they're testing without a launch monitor or, you know, that there's, there's ways, there's ways to normalize this and to make sure that you're getting good data. It For just, sure. It, yeah. It just, it just depends on when you, when you're testing. I mean, it, at the end of the day, it, it kind of comes down to, it's all relative, right? So if everybody's sure. seeing a loss and the PGA of America and the USGA and the RNA has been encouraging those of us in the amateur ranks to tee it forward for how many years? to improve pace of play, to improve enjoyment, to improve scoring average. And uh, nobody listens to that. Everybody wants to go and tip it out with their buddies and you know, see how high into the hundreds that they can shoot from seven plus thousand yards as a uh, you know 15 plus handicap. We're all just I mean, masochists, buddy. 100%. 100%. And I mean, I'll be the first one to admit that I have played the tips at golf courses that I have no business tipping it out from Same. and then gone, uh, man, you know what? That, uh, that golf course absolutely kicked my ass. Yep. Why did I play 7,300 yards at sea level when it's blowing 20? That was dumb, Yep. but I still do it. <laughs> I know better and I still do it. And I think a lot of us fall into that same category, but if everybody's seeing a loss and everybody's playing the same conditions and everybody's going to be on a level playing field in a competitive environment, and like I said, it's all relative. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe Chris is the voice of reason. No, I would never, never claim that. <laughs> I'm going to leave that up to Gene. And but he'll, he'll let you say it. <laughs> I'll, I'll like to be a loose cannon. I mean, you never know which way I'm going to swing. It just depends on the day and how much caffeine I've had in the morning. Yeah. So, yeah, I, but for, for the USG and the RNA, they're, they're, again, they're doing things the same way that Gene is. I mean, Gene goes out and, and checks their robots on a, on a yearly basis. He makes a trip over to, to Scotland to, to see the RNA, watches the robot, makes sure things are kosher, does the same thing with the USGA, and... And so, yeah, that's usually the way that they're testing. But yeah, they're not they're not testing in Denver. I mean, maybe they should. What was it? Mexico was uh, Mexico City. It's like twelve percent. Yeah. When they used to play that event there, so yeah. Chapultepec yeah. was like already sixty nine hundred yards, and then they, you you lob twelve percent off of that, and it's like, oh yeah, it plays like uh, fifty three hundred yards or fifty. Well, was that fifty eight hundred yards? Something like that. Like that's nuts. 
Nine. Just over. I guess that's just over six. I'm trying to do the math. <laughs> we're, we're we're not we're not great at math here on this podcast. This is not a math podcast. We the imperial metric. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Someone anyway. asked me the other day. It was like a random question. Like, how much does a golf ball weigh? I was like, uh, 1.62 ounces or, or 1.68. <laughs> and I was like, how do you? I goes, have you been doing a lot of stuff on the golf ball? I said, yeah, I've been writing it over and over and over. Over again. and over yeah. and over again. So get really good at that. Remembering those numbers at least. All right, let's get to number two, coach. All right, so we started with one for RB, and I kind of got one that's for J-Wall and one that's for Chris, so let's knock those two out. This one, J-Wall, subject near and dear to your heart. Oh, Lord. Uh, Tiger Woods sneakers. I I thought you were going to say Texas Rangers. (laughs) Well, that would be too easy. Hey, guys, Rob Lugsy from the Bay Area again. Uh, This is regarding Tiger shoes, but from a different perspective. Uh, is FootJoy a class act for not blowing up his social media uh, with Tiger every time he wore FootJoys because it got enough publicity as it is? Or did they miss out on the opportunities like leaving money on the table by not posting about Tiger wearing FootJoys? Thank you. Yeah, I've Rob's, Rob's all, always wanted to ask good questions on the pod. This is an interesting one. You know, because I think there are a lot of people out there that look at it and they would say, yeah, like, why wasn't FootJoy just trumpeting the fact that Tiger's wearing their stuff? But it is a really is a really weird situation because with Tiger's connections to Nike and, you know, there's been a lot of there's a lot of rumors swirling right now that yeah. this that this week could be it for Tiger in his in his relationship with Nike. You know, there's there's talk that the the PNC, the father son that he's playing with Charlie, this could be it. So yeah, I mean, th- you could look at it and you could say, sure, go go and post it on social media. But I I think Footjoy realizes that you know nobody knows what Tiger's doing. I mean, Tiger could end up with with a relationship with Footjoy down the road. He could end up going somewhere else and, and having his own shoe. You don't want to. You don't want to burn that bridge, and I think for them, they don't really have to do anything. And yeah. we're we're all doing it for them. We're all we're all promoting the fact <clears throat> that that Tiger Woods is wearing a Footjoy shoe. You don't you don't have to do that. You don't have to spend the money. Just let just let the masses do it for you. And and they all they all have. They willing. We've all willingly done it. So yeah, I, I think that's why is it's such a delicate situation given his relationship with Nike. But the fact that he has his own signature shoes over there that you just can't you just can't go out and and say oh look tigers wearing foot joys that's a big deal yeah you, you just you got to be quiet and we've we've, to, we've asked i mean and you can't I, use his yeah. name though right like you can't even use his name or likeness because Co- you'll correct knowing well steinberg's his agent and i don't i think that uh steinberg's very good at making money for people and not letting people get away with things for free so i think if they couldn't even they could say if they wanted to like oh he like person who finished t38 at the tiger hero but that's not even as efficient as like just like letting social media do its job really well look at look at the other gear in tiger's bag and in i think this is an interesting topic if you look at his clubs you know tailor-made if tiger wins or comes back you know they can talk about the fact that he's using uh, a new tailor-made qi10 driver and you know whatever else is new in the bag but you know, he's used. How long has he used True Temper Dynamical shafts in his? Well, he was a teenager. And wedges. Yeah, yeah, forever. But that's they—they they can't. 
because you would have to go to Tiger or Steinberg in that case and say, "Hey, look, we want we want to we want to run ads with Tiger in in them, saying that he plays the shafts." I mean, that's a lot of money, and the the shaft manufacturers shafts shafts are kind of you know it depends on the golfer, but they can they can kind of come and go. So it's tough to really get a deal in place because you don't really quite know which way a guy's going to go. But that's like money that they just can't spend. They don't have the budgets of a TaylorMade or a Callaway or or a Ping to be able to do stuff like that. So you can't you can't like say he's using it. People just people just know that he is. So I I feel like it's one of those situations where it's easier to let the masses do your job for you in those cases and, and like us talking about it and mentioning what Tiger's using, and then you don't have to spend the money. But people know if you're gearhead, you know what he's using. How many people would walk into a fitting studio, at, but like previously, I mean, like, oh, that's the Tiger Shaft, the orange one, like the orange DI. Yeah, I was gonna say that Tour AD DI when he had the orange shaft in play for for Tiger was extremely popular. Same thing, Diamante whiteboard when he yeah. was playing the whiteboard. Everybody wanted to hit DI. Everybody wanted to hit whiteboard. And I mean, now it's kind of like, you know, what buzz shafts do people come in specifically ask for by name? Ventus and Autoflex. So, I mean, it's when you start to see the same products out on tour, tour does move the needle. And even if it doesn't work for the masses, people still come in and ask for it. So it's, yeah, it's just seeing it on TV pretty much does the job for a lot of these manufacturers. What about VF? I, and I, I don't want to just like take this into the, to a shaft conversation, but I am curious because you've got a pulse on on what golfers are asking for since Tiger started using VF. Have you have you seen an uptick in requests for it or, or at least interest? I've had definitely inquiries. What is this? You know, what's the profile? Who's it for? What's the story about it? I've had. <clears throat> Can you break it down for us? Just because I've I've been getting this question from people that have been saying, like, is VF the new the new DI? Is it going to be like the the popular shaft that everybody's going to want to test? And and I'm like, look, I'm not I'm not you. You've got a lot more, you know. You've got the extensive fitter background, but I keep telling them like it's not the same shaft. <laughs> no. So essentially, if you're looking at it from a like standpoint of where does it fit in the the spectrum of graphite design yep. products, the two or eighty line, it's going to be a replacement for GP. So it's going to be something that is pretty firm. I mean, top to bottom, specifically in that midsection, tip section. So it's going to be replacing what we know as current GP product. But it is, I mean, it is stout. I've been testing it for a few months. And, I mean, just putting it in play on the golf course and then having some of my more accomplished players, some of my tour players test it in the hitting bay. I mean, it definitely lends itself to that particular demographic of player that's trying to tighten up dispersion, control launch, and spin characteristics for sure. Yeah. Cool. All right, so there's our answer on that. On the shoe question, yeah. <laughs> so so far we've had uh, we've had shoe questions and, and rollback questions. Um, anyway, all right, Coach, number three. All right, the classic fitter question has come back again, and Chris, I believe this one is for you. Hey there, greetings from Canada, from the Great White North. So my question is more geared towards uh, the serial killer, and it is should you get lessons before getting fitted or be fitted before going into lessons? My particular situation is 
I am a plus 0.1 handicap and going through a swing change, getting back into playing competitive golf. Um, I'm swinging the driver in and around 125 miles per hour currently, but struggling. Working with a coach to correct these things, should I be going to see a good, well-represented custom fitter before working more with my coach on the swing or vice versa? Thanks, guys. Have a great day. So... Good question. We get that question all the time. Should I work on my swing first? Should I get equipment first? But typically it's for the higher handicap. This is an interesting one, I feel like, and I'm curious to get your take, but we typically never really hear from guys that are like a plus handicap. Uh, exactly. I mean, that's that's kind of a, an oddity in itself that a plus index is going through a swing change. So, I mean, for that particular player demographic, I mean, I'm going to go the opposite direction that I normally would with a higher index. So for a plus index that has really good awareness of body and also just his particular motor pattern in general, uh, I mean, the the curiosity is the fact that he's been out of the game for a while and just getting back into it in a more competitive nature. So I mean, more often than not, I'm going to default to what it is that your body does, your movement patterns, how it is that you create angles and how your body moves in general is almost like your fingerprint. It never really changes. Now, for a more accomplished player, like a tour player or something like that, when they are going through a swing change and they are conscious and aware of the swing change that they're attempting to make and changing something that what would normally be considered a natural movement pattern, that's a different case. That's a totally different scenario. So if you're physically trying to change something that is what your body would consider natural, I would tell this particular player that work on the swing change first when the body is comfortable with that new movement pattern. That's the time to go and get fit for how it is that that body is now reacting to that new movement pattern. So fitting essentially when you look at it from a broad spectrum is complementing how it is the body naturally moves this particular player is trying to change how his body naturally moves and work on a different movement pattern, which is going to, again, have a direct correlation on how he's releasing the golf club, angles that he's creating. So for this scenario, I would say dial in that new move and then fit the club to complement the new motion. Especially at that speed. And I think that's that's another interesting element of this. Is it 125? Yeah, yeah, he said 125. That's, That's moving it. And... Like we actually, it's funny because we saw this at the at the TaylorMade event. Oh my uh, gosh! There was a there was a <laughs> long did. there was a long drive guy there. So he was like one. He was swinging into the one like high one thirties, and it's amazing what a miss sounds like because of the amount yep. of spin that's created on a miss. So if someone who's at one twenty five, if you're missing a lot, obviously you're gonna. It's like when Gene tests like how much how much straighter someone who swings at seventy five miles an hour versus one hundred five miles an hour hits it, mm-hmm. just because the variance becomes so much higher. And at one twenty five. If you're trying to like dial in a different pattern and you're not looking at shaft weight or profile or center of gravity or if even face angle, just the way the club looks at a dress, a miss at 125 could go off the freaking planet. Oh, yeah. So in that case, yeah, I think that's an important element of this like whole thing is that, especially in this scenario, you want to make sure that you know what your, your, um, your impact kind of relationship is, like face to path and angle of attack and all that stuff. And that's going to change a lot before a lesson or after a lesson. Or, or after a lesson, for sure. Yeah. So if they're working on, 
yeah, if, if this player, let's just say, has a two-way miss and he's relatively neutral with his face-to-path relationship and now this coach is trying to get him more from the outside or more from the inside, that's changing things dynamically through the impact zone. So if he is physically changing how it is that he delivers the golf club through impact, that fitting result is going to change as he gets more comfortable with this particular movement pattern. So I would wait on the fitting until you're comfortable with how the body's moving and comfortable with your coach on essentially the progress that you've made with the lessons and then fit the product to complement the new move. 100%. Agreed. (laughs) All right. That was a good one, actually. Yeah, that was good. I like it. All right. Yeah, we have some nice change of paces to mix things up, but there's also a common theme to a lot of these. Uh So I'm going to... Try to mix it up as best as possible. We're we're back to basics here. Oh, here we go. All right, Gene. Yeah, hey, guys. Jeff Gamble here out of Stillwater, Oklahoma. Uh, I play out of Cimarron Trails in Perkins, Oklahoma. Uh, this isn't exactly a question, more of a more of just an observation, but with all due respect, RB, uh, I think you're wrong about the distance thing, and I'll give you my reason. John Daly. Look at John Daly's celebrity. Why did he become a celebrity? Here's four other names that did similar to what he did. Rich Bean, Sean McKeel, Ben Curtis, Tom Ham- Todd Hamilton. I mean, who are those guys? We don't. Most people don't know, but we all know John Daly because he went out and won the PGA Championship hitting bombs. And that's it. That's all I got. Oh, and one last thing. Gene is the man. No question. <laughs> no. <laughs> Knew that was coming. How, how much, was how coming. much <laughs> really drawing lines yeah. here in the sand for, like, how much are we paying these guys to say that Gene is the man, Gene is the voice of reason? That's so funny. I'd like to see Gene's just, I, uh, Venmo and PayPal yeah. account transactions. Yeah, uh, he's, he's definitely paying these guys under the table. So my, my argument would be, or my kind of rebuttal to that is, and this is not a knock to the golfer I'm going to mention as well, but like someone like Ricky Fowler has won events and has done very well for himself, but... He has not won any majors, and I would say that he is just as recognizable in many cases as someone like John Daly, but just because he approaches the game differently. Look, Todd Hamilton, I've had this discussion a lot recently about, everyone's talking about money and golf and the live and all this stuff. Golfers, and I've had a lot of conversations about this, a lot of golfers really suck at marketing themselves. And if you go watch any F1 race, there's 20 of them in the world, everyone knows who they are for every team. And they go to events and they do activations and they do all of these things. And there's a number of players in the top 100 in the world or top 50 in the world that really don't even use social media. They don't like doing events. They don't like doing these things. And like a good example of this uh, recently, I know someone mentioned is like someone like Martin Keimer has won two majors. The man does not want attention. Uh-huh. He doesn't care. He does not care for attention, which is why he is not with a sponsor because he just was someone who's like, I don't need the attention. I don't want to be involved in this kind of thing. I just want to get paid and like go play golf and like hang out with my family. And there are golfers like that, and there are other golfers like John Daly, who drive their tour buses to Hooters at the Masters Week and line up and like rip starts all day and drinks Diet Cokes and like signs autographs all day. And it's because of his personality, which is why he's popular. Because let me tell you, John Daly's got a lot more personality than Todd Hamilton. <laughs> That's just true. And and Rich Beam does Sky Sports, and Rich Beam's a very entertaining guy. Like he, he he's willing to speak his mind when he's on TV. But like again, he doesn't stand out because he looks like a lot of you know 
middle-aged white dudes who win golf tournaments. And John Daly was was rocking up with a mullet, smoking ciggies, and just like, I don't give a crap. So that is what people attach themselves to. And I, I think it's even less, like distance is less of a thing than it is like the personality. But I understand. I guess it's like at, at that time it's an outlier. But again, if, if golf and long drive is so popular, why is the world long drive circuit relegated to YouTube? It's, I still think it's the, it's the total package. I mean, yeah. People want to see the hero shots. People want to see things that they can't do. I mean, same kind of thought process is why are the ratings on the PGA Tour higher than the Champions Tour, the Corn Ferry, or the LPGA? It's, I mean, these are the Clydesdales of our sport. These are the, the one half of the one percenters that you watch on TV and go, wow, there's no way I could have pulled that shot off. And, I mean, it's the well-rounded game top to bottom from tee to green. And, I mean, that's why I watch. I want to see somebody hit it 350 yards and then go up and you know, make a two on a par four. I think that's awesome. I can't do that. No, I, I can't speak for myself, but if you look at basketball, I don't know I can walk up and like start. I can try and hit three pointers, but I'm not gonna like I'm not gonna throw them down like Steph Curry, like, and I can't dunk a basketball. I don't know, maybe Jonathan can, <laughs> but I, I used to when I when I still had hops. Those, those <laughs> hops are long gone. But yeah, like you know, I think there is that element of like the the full package of like what makes it entertaining. Um, but again, I think again, John Daly's popular because he is John Daly. Yeah, I think it's again. The, the golf drive, like the drive and all that stuff gave him the attention. But, you know, Avero, uh, um, oh crap, Kiros, um, Avaro, uh, Avaro Kiros, Avaro yeah. Kiros yeah. smashes the golf ball, still smashes the golf ball. He's out on the, on the European tour, but lack of exposure plus like less social media. And he did magazine covers like 10 years ago. He's like, this guy's going to revolutionize everything. But if he doesn't keep it up and like continue to sell himself, it's not going to matter. Yeah. You know, something I've been thinking about. Coach, well, well, hold on. Coach, how many more questions do we have on rollback before I before I give this take? I mean, that depends on how long we want to go, but <laughs> at, at, least, at least three. Okay. Well, I was just thinking about this recently. You know, one of the things that the, the USGA has been talking about, one of the reasons for this rollback is that they're, they're, you know, they don't want golf courses to lengthen because lengthening means taking out trees and moving heaven and earth to making these golf courses longer. But I thought... Like how many golf courses are they really talking about here? How many golf courses would would even do that? Like if if they knew that, that they were completely overpowered by their by their week, weekend golfers, how many would even go like, oh man, we got to get longer. It's, it's we got to get tougher. I mean, the, this is kind of going back to the, you know, like like Chris said, like the Clydesdales, like you know the top, you know, one percent of one percent. Yep. I mean, this, these are like the Augustas and, and these courses that that do it because they can. But like golf courses aren't getting aren't going to get longer. No, you know, our, our local muni's not going to you know, all of a sudden yeah, add another five hundred yeah, yards. So that's I guess that's my that's my like take on it is I get it and I understand that that we have precious resources. One of them being water. And I do think that some golf courses just over water. I mean, you, we've probably all gone to a golf course in the last year or so where you walk on to the course in the morning and you're like, dude, did it rain here last night? Right. Like, like what is going on? And there's yeah. a lot of standing water as you drive around the golf course. And you can see that their, their sprinkler system is probably inefficient. But I don't know. I, I get what they're saying, but but it, this is they're looking at it through the lens of like again, that top one percent of one percent, which is the PGA Tour, the courses that are out there, 
Um, maybe some of them become obsolete as guys get longer, but for the general public, the 99.9% of golfers, this is not a thing. And it's not a thing for golf course operators. If you, if you want your course to play firm and fast, like don't water as much, but right. you're not going to, you're not going to expand it. I don't, I, I think don't buy that. I was listening to uh one and slumbers on a number of, of podcasts and like, I don't want to mentioned one because I did listen to like a whole like I listened to three or four and kind of got the idea like the take was everyone asks questions a little differently um, but it's like if we're using the United States as an example right like every state has like mid-ams and, and amateur championships and amateur events that their their own golf associations run and the courses that they can play at are becoming less and less and that's the biggest thing I think that and that's that's where they're looking at and even from like, but like a, less and less to for like just because the uh, golf from courses. a challenging perspective yeah because even you got 14 year old kids swinging at 115 and you got guys like me who if i was a mid-am like i know guys who are a lot older than me and they're swinging drivers at 125 still and it's yeah. like if you're gonna go play on mid-ams you're playing you, you got to try and find these golf courses that can yeah, help but, who, us. But, I think, but who's watching like a state mid-am like do, do we really know like it I, if some if they're overpowering a golf course and they have that kind of speed like cool if you if you can reach if you can reach you know three or four of the par fours on that golf course in in one shot, hell more power to you. If you've got if you've got that speed and also that consistency, if you've got that Dustin Johnson level, then then go for it. But I, I don't I don't care if if they're if those golf courses are getting overpowered like whatever. Yeah, I mean we're I I just focus more on like the PGA Tour and. And what's going on out there? And again, I don't think a lot of the courses that are currently in play are going to get longer, just as guys get longer. I think that they're just going to realize that the scores are going to get lower, and that's what kind of like Gene said. We're used to seeing it. We're used to seeing on the PG Tour during the season, guys are shooting twenty twenty five under. Sure. I mean, what did what did what did Aberg shoot at RSM? Was he thirty? Oh, it was insane. I don't. I was like, yeah, I was. I think it was. It was, 30, I, was I think it was like thirty. I think it was like thirty under. For the for the week, it's just nuts. Just I mean, just absolutely insane. And and some people might say it's it's not fun to watch, but I don't know. That's that's just sort of my my side take on it. Anyway, uh, coach, next one. Okay, we got our friend in Kentucky with a, a pretty interesting question here on mini drivers. Hey guys, this is Anthony from Kentucky again. Uh, I'm a big fan of the mini driver. Most people that I know that that, uh, that try it love it as well. I guess my first question is, is why is there not more OEMs making a mini driver? And my second question would be is, it seems like a good idea to OEMs to maybe do like a mini driver, driver combo and fitting together. Uh, I just want to hear your thoughts. Thanks. That's a good question. It's a really good question. I've wondered this too because I have a mini driver in the bag. You have a mini driver in the bag. Yes, I did not have it with me this past week because um, I knew I'd be playing some longer golf courses, but I do like having it on shorter golf courses because it's bigger than my normal driver. I don't feel like I have to like throttle back on a driver because yeah. when I have a driver in my hand, I'm going full tilt all the time. Like it's so with with that idea. Um, why, why I think they don't do more of them, if you actually look at the numbers, they are relatively like low and they are a specialty golf club. Kind of like similar to like a low bounce wedge from Vokey. Like they don't need, sure they're great for like a number of people, but if you put them in the, the hands of someone with the wrong like like the wrong swing or wrong dynamics into the golf ball, someone's gonna buy, oh, I really wanna try that low bounce wedge. And it's like, you can't ship with it. So, <laughs> which I've seen before, it's not a great, not a great scene. No. So, um, 
I do. I do think the idea of like if you are getting fit for it too, like fit for driver, because it's no different in my in theory of like just being a big three with that you only use off the tee, right? Because mm-hmm. like I, I do you fit for, with those at all, or is it something that like you have but you just have like a couple shafts because of the you know you don't want to re rechange or change the entire matrix just to fit those like products. So at TrueSpec, it's. I mean, there's, this is like a, a multi-part answer, so I apologize in advance for my uh, upcoming rant here. Uh, but with TrueSpec, we don't carry them in the matrix because it is a specialty kind of niche market. But at the same time, to unpack his question, you know, I love the mini driver. And, I mean, you can look at it from a technical perspective and go, okay, it's shorter, it's smaller, it has higher loft, so it spins the ball more. As we've talked about, spin keeps the ball in the air, spin keeps the ball in play. Shorter golf shaft, easier for more players to control. So tee it lower to the ground. So you're hitting it more like the rest of the clubs in your bag. So when it comes to application, like the mini driver makes sense for a lot of players. It's easier to control. It hits the ball higher. It spins the ball more. So no surprise there that it is going to be more controllable than a driver for a lot of players. Then if we revisit some of the previous robot testing, at certain spin thresholds, the three would for some players, ends up going further than the driver. So now you put a higher lofted driver or a lower lofted three wood with more forgiveness in that same player's hands, and now they're seeing more consistency and better playability than their three wood, and it's equaling or getting really close to what a driver does for them on a good shot. So for that particular demographic in that niche market, the mini driver totally makes sense on a better player's hands that has some speed, now application-wise, goes down. When are they going to hit it? Where are they going to hit it? So for us in the true spec environment, having a specialty matrix just for a niche product doesn't make sense. But that particular golf club for the right demographic of player is an awesome addition to the bag. And for a lot of players out there, could forfeit the need for a driver or a three-wood. So it just kind of depends on who that player is, how it is that they're going to use it, and also, again, I default to dynamics, angles that they create through impact, if that golf club is, in fact, going to be a better performer than the driver or a better performer than the three-wood. So it could have a home in the bag, or it could be something that replaces a driver that they struggle with. I I would love to see, because I just thought of this now, and I know Gene's not here to, like, kind of explain it, but... Would love to see a drive. So same brand, whether it be Callaway, probably TaylorMade, a TaylorMade driver versus the t- the mini driver, and then you hit shots where you miss half inch high and low and half inch heel and toe or three quarter inch heel to toe and go a little wider. Because I feel like with drivers, when you get when you miss wider on the toe, mm-hmm. gear effect is greater because you're hitting it further away from the center of gravity location. Whereas with a with a mini driver, the center of gravity is a little closer to the face, smaller club head. So I don't know how much gear effect actually like helps with that miss. So it actually might stay straighter, because I know, you know, I play with persimmon and I'll hit one off the heel or toe. It doesn't go as like very far, but it generally the miss is not off the planet, which because it's again it spins a lot more, it's a much smaller head, and it's a shorter shaft. So I'm not swinging it again. I'm not swinging it as fast. Not creating the same amount of ball speed. So I think with the with the mini driver, it actually in again this is a theory. I don't know. I'd love to test it, but like to think is it actually straighter than a driver at the same speed if you are relatively relative miss hits? Because it would make sense that if, even if you swing it a little slower, and it's a little heavier, you're gonna hit it straighter. 
which makes sense. I mean, that's that's why it's such a it's a huge advantage to be able to miss and not miss as big. I mean, I would say without putting it on a robot, I would say yes, it's going to be straighter more often than not. Just defaulting again to the spin threshold. If yeah. it launches higher and spins more, it's not going to want to curve as much. Yeah. So it's not going to get you in as much trouble. That's where you see modern day drivers and modern day golf balls that don't launch and spin quite as much as they used to. You get that shot on the toe that gears. I mean, you're sub a thousand RPMs of spin, and it just knuckles and nose dives into the ground. I hit a snipey one on eight the, like the other day. Oh, buddy, I am the champion of that, that thing. Shot. I I'm th- I would like to thank whatever tree it hit that knocked it back into the fairway and it <laughs> left a very long approach shot, but. I hit one, and I hadn't hit like one that like that in a while, and it just so. When anyone says, "Oh, the golf ball doesn't curve," let me tell you, you hit one an inch off the freaking toe, and that thing will curve. Oh, she gonna curve, <laughs> especially when you're used to hitting cuts, and like you, you basically square up your face to path, and you knock it off the toe. It goes left, and then then it curves left. It's yep. So and that's where <laughs> you introduce mini driver that now has more static loft, which for most of us is going to produce more dynamic loft through impact, higher launch, more spin. Now we don't see as much curve, and we don't see that just knuckleball nosedive that you would normally see out of a driver. Yeah. So, I mean, without testing it, I would say, like, the physics of it makes sense that it would be straighter more often than a driver at the same speed. Yeah. yeah. All right. Good question. Very good question. Next question. So we've discussed loft jacking a lot in the past. Um, this caller has something specific to Bryson on that. Hey, this is Drew Plummer out in the uh, Seattle, Washington area. I had a quick question about Bryson DeChambeau calling his pitching wedge, which is one length. Uh, I think it's 40 degrees, and then he calls his 9-iron at 35. Why is he even calling them 9-irons and pitching wedges? Why isn't get an 8-iron at 35 degrees when it's a one-line. It almost seems counterintuitive to, to name of these things. It doesn't make any sense to me. Can you please explain? Yeah. RB, RB's got his finger up. I I really hope that you're taking it the way that I would, but RB, I'm going to let you go with it. You, you could name it. You could name it Sally. You could name it Steve. You could name it Bob. You can name whatever the hell you want. It doesn't matter. It's all relative, yeah. and that, that's where that's where this like whole thing of like numbers on, on golf clubs and stuff like it doesn't matter. It really, honestly, it it's it not not to be like completely nihilistic, but nothing matters. Nothing matters at all. It's all just a blur. It's just relative to him. So he grabs a pitching wedge. You guys, his pitching wedge. I can put a pitching wedge. I could I could call up um, one of those refinishing services. And yeah. actually, I saw someone who did it with a set of mirror blades. They they bent everything weak to knock the offset off it. Read because they ground them down. They they uh, took a little bit of weight off, and then put new numbers on the bottom. So they had a, a I think it was a five to gap wedge, and this set never came with a gap wedge because they bent everything weak. And it's all just relative. If you you could put A B C D E oh I need the A, I need the I need the G. I'm I'm hitting G from 160. Like yep. it's just relative. So and that that's that's the thing where I think golf as a construct when people think of like oh I need this or I need this or I need this you don't need anything. You just need a golf club that goes that right distance, right? Like so, yep. I think for Bryson, those irons came with those lofts when they bent them or did whatever to them. So they just keep them as just a relative term. That's yeah. all it is. You, you just gotta use, wrap your head use, around. Use that. a sharpie too. You could just cross it out with a sharpie and write. VJ did that. So like, there's another example. So VJ right now, I think is using some tricks on um, Mark II ZX7s, and he hates offset. And he's done that before with Mizuno. He's done it, well. Cleveland was making him real custom stuff, but that's when he was on the PGA Tour. Yep. But 
Uh, he has an eight iron or seven iron that has eight written over it, all in sharp red sharpie marker, all over it, like all over the cavity. Like this thing is written in there multiple, multiple times, and that that uh, relationship it goes throughout the entire set because his clubs are bent three to four degrees weak because he likes to see no off no on no offset or almost an, the appearance of onset. So because of that. His, when he asks for a, an 8-iron, he's actually getting a 7-iron bent to an 8-iron loft, and that's how it's built into his set. And it's all it is. It's just it's all just a construct, man. I know it sounds like I'm sitting out in like a tent, just like just full of puffing smoke or whatever, but like it's just a construct. It's just a name, and you can call it whatever you want, but that's why. It's just because people kind of like continue to stick to that, so when they put them in their bag, they just leave it at whatever it is. Something interesting that Lee Westwood does, which I've always I've always thought about, but you know, I feel like I've been playing golf long enough that I know my carry numbers. He writes the the carry yardage for each one of his clubs in the cavity. Yeah, and and that's just his way of knowing, like, all right, it, this is what I got. So, do I have that? Do I have that number here? Or do I need to figure out kind of is it a tweener shot? I, I think I, it started when with his when his uh, his new girlfriend wife was like catting for him yeah it did and yeah. so like they've just left it on yep. there yeah yep. so they so it makes it a little bit easier but i, I kind of like that you know some golfers in in the moment you're, you're like maybe you're having a good round or whatever and you're, you're like oh man what is now what's this yardage and trying to figure it out like it's just easy you just got them all written down there i did it for my my wife because of the shout out to ping the the, the fitting app that they have mm-hmm. so you enter in the your your where you normally play, you enter and all this stuff. Now, this, uh, you can go to ping and fitters and get this. You can't. Don't ask me online because I'm not going to send you the, the, the login. <laughs> okay, um, but we were experimenting with it. I was very curious how it works because I know I have friends who are ping fitters, and obviously we've talked to Marty a lot before, and put in like swing speed, loft of the golf club, all this stuff, and she carries. We did it. We laminated it. This little card, so she knows her because she doesn't play as much, but she's pretty consistent on like her carry yardages. So if she's like really curious on like a par three or something and she just pulls out the card and goes, okay, yeah, it's probably what I should hit. And if, oh, the pins at the back, maybe I should pull this club instead. Um, because she doesn't play as often, it's it's hard to remember those things all the time. She's not a gear junkie. She's not a nerd. She doesn't like go and think about her club yardages all the time, like, you know, sickos. So for her, having that information is very easy to just go to the golf course and have it. And it's just, again, it's all relative to the loft because, I mean, her I think her pitching wedge is 40 degrees. That's it. when I was coaching full-time. Uh coaching and fitting but i was down at my teaching academy and there was a little startup company that came to see me and it was shaft clips that had yardages printed on them and they would clip onto the shaft just above the hosel and it was the carry numbers and you could print you know which carry numbers and then you just put it on the corresponding club so i mean the the numbers assigned to the club to your point yeah it's it's, it's all arbitrary right so uh, the seven iron used to be a six iron, used to be a five iron, whatever. And for my little juniors that were just kind of acclimating themselves with how far they hit each club, and a lot of my beginning players that are trying to figure out how to navigate their way through the bag. And so many times I saw players come in and they'd have two, three, four clubs that all overlapped on a carry number. So these little shaft clips were a very easy way for them to navigate through their bag when they were on the golf course and look at just how far each club flies in the air. Now, landing angle spin produces X amount of roll. That's all dependent upon what it is that you're landing in, but that carry number is important. So taking that little clip for them 
and putting it on the golf club, now it assigned a real number rather than the arbitrary three, four, five, six, seven, eight, so on and so forth, so that when they are actually playing, they know what club to pull to carry a bunker or a hazard or whatever the case may be. And that helped them exponentially improve as a player to understand the importance of carry number versus total number. So something like that, I think it, if in a perfect world we could do a full custom set instead of assigning an arbitrary number to actually go, this is your 160 club, and that goes in the bag. Yeah. So when a player or a caddy is, is clubbing a, a player, they pull the correct carry number and hand it to them rather Smart. than yeah. an arbitrary number. Yeah, I like that. All right. What, what else we got? Coach, do I want to know? I've had fun. These are good. Yeah, they've been really – again, I, I jokingly say that, but the questions that we get on for the hotline are are usually high quality. Yeah, these are good. I'm, I'm engaged. Keep them coming. So our friend in Kentucky always has good questions, so I wanted to include his on the rollback, even though we've already touched on it. Oh, man. Fired up. <laughs> yeah, guys, this is Anthony from Kentucky again. I've been listening to all the podcasts talking about the ball rollback and, and all those things. I'm wondering why we just don't simplify it and and possibly change the CT and the driver for tour pros on the courses that the distance has become irrelevant. Uh, instead of impacting all of us as golfers, uh, it just seems more simpler to me. I've spent my whole golfing career trying to control spin and understand spin, and some part of me believes that if they roll back the golf ball, spin is going to be involved and and shortening the, the carry distance, therefore possibly starting over with uh, club fitting, lost, lie, everything that goes with trying to control your golf ball. Thanks. Yeah, very good question. Um, to the the point about the CT characteristic time, I always just say it's spring-like effect of, of the driver. Easy way to say it. The, the, the USGA is doing research now. Everybody's fixated on the on the golf ball changes that they're proposing, and it's not so much I shouldn't say the golf ball changes. It's the way that they test the golf balls when the manufacturers submit them for conformance. But in addition to that, they mentioned that they were going to continue doing additional research. Um, one was on driver creep. Um, I've called it CT creep before. And what, what ends up happening is over time, the, as, you, as you hit golf balls, pound golf balls off the, the face of that, that titanium driver or, or carbon, um, the, the, the face is gonna get hotter over time which I think whenever you tell people that, that your driver is getting hotter over time, they're like, wait, it's not, it's not getting slower? No, man, it's, 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 it's going the other way. It's going the other direction. <clears throat> it's a great excuse to tell someone you want to get a new golf. It's like I've had it for a few years. It's, it doesn't yeah. have the same pop. Yeah. It's like, actually, yeah. it's probably you that doesn't have the same pop because that thing's probably moving a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things that, that the manufacturers, and we talked about this on the last pod, was the, some, some manufacturers have gone all the way over the, the limit for, for CT and then they've dialed it back, one of them being tailor-made. And so now they're actually looking at like, what is the starting number that you're submitting at? 
Um, so I, I would say that that they are. They're they're taking a closer look at at CT what the CT number is that they're submitting when they when they submit those drivers for conformance. And I I think of all the other options out there, I think I think you know drawing a very defined line in the sand and saying, look, if you get really close to what is it, two fifty two fifty seven. Yeah, plus yeah, or minus it's, like it's thirteen. Two, it's yeah. two thirty nine plus plus or minus eighteen. Um, if you get close to that number, even like within two fifty one, we're going to have you submit additional samples. We could even hit upwards of one hundred and fifty balls at one twenty five um, on on the robot. And if your driver after those hits is now above, uh, you know, above that number then we're going to have you send another set of samples. If one of those drivers out of the eight that you send fails, then your driver's not going to form So I do think that they are. I, I think they're trying to dial it back. I, I think it is It is one way that you could certainly maybe do it in, in golfers wouldn't be panicking as much because I, I agree. I think I've heard from a lot of golfers. I don't know about you guys, but some of them are concerned. They're like, man, I, I already struggle with spin. And now, like I'm worried that I'm going to be getting a, a spinnier golf ball in 2030 when, when this new ball that's going to be rolled out in 2028 for the pros and 2030 for us, like how is that going to affect my bag? And I've talked about it. Like manufacturers have already started to tell me, and I'm sure they've probably told you as well, RB. Like they're scrapping product lines because they they're kind of having to start from from scratch on some of these to make sure that they're optimized to whatever this new ball looks like. Yeah, I and this uh, this is where. I don't. I would say like you know, if someone, you see some players get a, a two iron in their hands and they hit it 280 yards anyways. Like it's kind of insane, and that's why I think they're targeting the golf ball. But I also believe that it is a good idea. Like which is why they're looking at driver and the idea of multiple testing. So test when it's new and then test after 100 shots or 150 shots. Like that's actually a very you know because they're going to look at the relationship of what happens to the characteristic of time, the CT, the you know, springiness, and over time that. It's like I, I, I use this example because I saw had one at the at the U.S. Open and U.S. Open had like persimmon clubs on the range and golfers could hit it. So Adam had with his driver hit it really good. It was like 170. And he's not like the longest guy on tour. 170 is pretty good. Like you know that's it's higher above most average pulled golfers by a long shot. Sure. Um, but then he hit the uh, a, a wooden old McGregor steel shafted 43 inches. He's just, his ball speed was 160. And he's like I cracked that one. And obviously spin was higher because of the club hit design and all that stuff. But if you took that same head and put it two inches of graphite shaft on it, he's probably going to get it to 165. So five, you're talking to me five miles an hour of the club head. I think that's why they're not, they're not as focused on the club head and they are more focused on the ball, but they are focused on the club head becoming non-conforming, which is, I think, something that you know does happen over time. I think that's why... Um, Certain companies use certain materials in their club faces, and I think a big reason, and they said, Titleist said it, like they were, they've were they been worried at certain points, which is why they really like using the ATI, because it is stronger, it allows them to see less creep over time, but it maintains the strength of that material. So people ask like material differences in driver, like Titleist, the ATI, uh, 425, I think it is, right? Yeah. Yeah, like that is a, that is a very specific material that only they use, which allows them to Really not. I'm not saying they work around the rules, but what it does, it allows it to stay within conformity, so their players can use their drivers longer without having to worry. Which I think is, you know, a really good thing. If you if you if you like the driver that you have, you don't really want to switch it. Uh, no, definitely not. And I mean, like I talked about when we 
first heard of this announcement coming down the pipeline, I think it's going to have a ripple effect. And uh, like you just said, OEMs are already scrapping future product lines because of this decision from USGA and RNA. And I mean, in a gear world where you know I make my living selling golf equipment and educating people about golf equipment, it. You know, I'm not in favor of the rollback, but at the same time, I'm confident that the OEMs are going to have something that is going to combat it, and whether that be something that is you know, totally a different material in the face, in the head, CG placement, you know, weight placement, and I don't think there's going to be as significant as a loss as what they're anticipating once the OEMs figure out how to reverse engineer it and essentially negate what they're doing with golf ball. If, if you are a high club head speed player and you are curious what a rollback could potentially mean to you, and you're worried about your gear or changing your gear or anything like that, go out and find yourselves. Go buy a box. They're like 25 bucks, I think it is. The Callaway Max golf ball, the whatever the Chrome, Chromesoft Max, I think it's called. Um, not a not an ad. <laughs> that golf ball is actually oversized. It is a bigger golf ball. And the reason they do that is because when it's sitting on the ground, it has a slightly higher center of gravity. It's a two-piece golf ball, low compression. And the science behind it for average golfers and low club head speed players is the center of gravity of the, literally the center of the golf ball is higher off the ground. So it's easier for golfers to get underneath it and get it up in the air. And it has a, also has an aerodynamics package, which is designed to create extra lift. Great for slow head club head speed players. And I'm sure if you put that golf ball on the robot and hit it at 125, the new testing standards, it's going to be considered conforming. So if you're very curious, like what that would be like to use a golf ball that would do that, lower compression and a larger golf ball, which are two um, levers that golf, they, like weight is the same, but those are two of like three levers that golf ball manufacturers can very quickly adjust to adjust for distance. At the high speed, it doesn't really help that much. But at the low speed, it's actually very helpful. It's a very good golf ball to help golfers to want to get it up in the air. So if you're curious and be like, oh, what's this going to do to my, my game and stuff like that? Just go buy it. I mean, for 25 bucks, cool, fun little experiment if you're really curious. And I would love to get feedback on that. And I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to buy some golf balls. Callie, feel free to. I'm about to do some testing, but I, I go, I'll go out and buy them for 25 bucks one way or the other. So I, don't said, really, I think I think we can. We, I, don't, I don't really care, but I'd be very curious to test that. We, we splurged for some irons recently. We haven't even talked about that. Yeah, do you want do you want to talk about that really quick? Costco, Kirkland signature Kirkland, irons. Yeah. We got them. We're gonna do robot testing. We're gonna do some player testing. I'm gonna check the lies and loss. I'm gonna rip them all apart. Um, yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited. And they said, I mean, they set off a freaking fury online. I was yeah, going to buy, I was, I was going to buy the stiff yeah. flex shafts. And then I went online and I was like, oh crap, they're sold out. And I messaged you guys. And, and I was like, guys, we need to, I need to get on this right now or else they're going to sell it. And we don't know when they're going to come back in. And we do not want to be the people that don't have them for testing or in hand pictures. And I, uh, I'd like to thank Costco and their logistics because I got an email that they should arrive at jeans today. Love woo, that. Woo. So we'll have yeah. them for this weekend. We will have them for this weekend. We'll have in hand photos very very soon. very soon. Very soon. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're already, what were they, four ninety nine, and they're already on eBay for like thousand bucks. Thousand bucks, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, again, I've, I've talked about, I'm not going to belabor the point, but I hate re, I hate the resellers. Mm-hmm. They suck. And, uh, agreed. Yeah, Kirkland definitely didn't, uh, or maybe they did. Maybe they maybe they just wanted to go with a really small number of, of sets for the first batch because they sold out quickly and everybody's like, why didn't they come with more? They knew that there was going to be high demand and... What were they thinking? 
I, you know, I think they were hoping for, for exactly what they got. Kirkland Golf Ball did the same thing when it first came out. Yeah. I mean, people were buying it up as as many as they could get. Costco is the, the and I've listened to a number of podcasts and read a bunch of things on it, like like deep, deep, deep dives into like their the way that they operate. And the one thing is they don't advertise. They refuse to advertise because they they believe that the quality of their product and what the service they provide to their they members. They don't need to advertise. They don't need to advertise. This is like Tiger like, with where are the foot choice. Yeah, and it's it is it, like they refuse to spend money on advertising. And the companies when they do have their own Costco Insider magazine, companies pay to be in their magazine that they produce to show off their products, and they do it to showcase their own products because there's stuff showing off products and services that their members can can buy. So that is the only advertisement, but they don't physically pay for that because they charge ad space to that in their own magazine. So to think of how that works and then to know that I'm sure and they don't like they want to keep their members happy, but they also have to act within reason. So I think, you know, having it be a niche product. Now my next question is going to be what happens when this driver comes out? Cuz oh, I'm going to do this I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to make sure yeah. that we get them and we get them to Gene because like I was able to talk before he reti- I know he retired and I don't want to say his name cuz I first of all I don't remember it, but when they launched the putter and the golf ball, the person who was in charge, the buyer who was in charge of the golf ball and golf putter division, like putter, well, not division, but like putter and sports, sporting goods, he was like, we weren't really sure, but we were all kind of crazy golfers and we wanted to give it a shot. And we were just, we were really curious to see how it would go. And, you know, it just went way beyond our expectations. And I think they're a conservative company as far as the way that they, they're very modern, but they're relatively conservative in the way they act. They relate to e-commerce. They relate to a lot of different things, but... <laughs> to see how this is going to go. And then, you know, the next two weeks for content, just like we need a YouTube channel <laughs> once we get our YouTube <laughs> channel, but like, you're going to see them all over YouTube. Everyone's oh, going to yeah. have them. Yeah. Everyone's going to run through them. So yep. it's, it's, it literally is right now is going to be a race to who could get to the UPS truck and a golf course as yep. quickly as possible. For sure. Yep. All right. Uh, coach, how many more do we want to do here? We're, we're getting, we're getting close to about. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to give you this next one and then we're going to circle back and sort of, end where we started so to speak all right all right so would that be with gene as the voice of reason something along those lines lines. all right perfect so so this gentleman you just want someone to teach him about ball flight hey guys brandon here from new york uh i got one for you with uh covid i've noticed uh most companies now have some form of uh fitting or selector tool on their website for selecting irons, balls, drivers. And inevitably, they all ask the question, do you like a low, medium, or high ball flight with your ball? I've played golf for years. I don't know if my ball flight's high, low, medium. You guys have a rule of thumb you use for what what would be considered a high ball flight versus a medium ball flight versus a low? Uh, I've heard things like go by your swing speed or ball speed. Um, my peak height is about 100 feet on most of my iron shots. I swing my uh, six iron at about 90 miles an hour. Thanks for the help, guys. Bye. Chris question. Chris question. Yeah. Chris what, do you, question. what would you say that if, someone, if someone's at 100 feet with their six iron? So 100 feet with a six iron is pretty solid. Yeah. So, I mean, apex height of 100 feet at 90 miles an hour with a six iron should put you right in that landing angle range of essentially optimal. So, if six iron, 90 miles an hour, 100 feet of apex height, I would anticipate that landing angle being between 
you know, 45 and 50 degrees, which as far as playability, scoreability is essentially perfect. Damn near, I'd say damn near perfect. So yeah, if you're if you're in that 90 mile an hour range, I would anticipate apex height being close to where it is. Now the question is, how does it get to that apex height? What's the spin range? And then also based upon how it gets to that apex height and where the spin threshold is, like what landing angle does it produce? Because you could get to 100 feet, but then be spinning it at you know, 4,500 RPMs and your landing angle be at 40 degrees. Now that playability is obviously not going to be as good as 100 feet at 5,500 RPMs producing that 46 to 48 range. So there's a couple of different things that go into figuring out playability of ball flight but generally speaking if your six iron is 100 feet that should give us a a pretty playable landing angle now as far as how to categorize that if 90 miles an hour is 100 feet that would put you in the higher ball flight range uh, compared to other players so i've seen 90 miles an hour produce 80 feet I've also seen 90 miles an hour that somebody is just extremely knuckled down and de-lofting everything through impact, not even sniff 80 feet. So, I mean, in his particular case, 100 feet is pretty spot on, and I would put him in the higher ball flight category with 6-iron. Tell me if you've heard this general rule. Maybe your fitters do it or something like that. I know we, we always talk about the protocol, but we don't really dive in too much into it. But a general rule for a lot of golfers that I'd say is the club head speed that you swing that golf club at should hopefully be the peak height. So if you're swinging a six iron at 90, mi- 90 miles an hour, to get to 90 feet with the right spin rate is pretty good. Now get, to get above that with the right spin rate, to your point, is very, very optimal. Um, but you're never gonna, if you someone who swings a six iron or seven iron at 70 miles an hour, you're, you're almost, it's almost impossible for you to get to 100 feet. Like it's very, very difficult to create the spin and lift of that golf ball to get to that height. So. I think if you were to categorize the idea of like what is optimal for an, an individual golfer, and if you're curious, and this again, great, it was a great question, Ping does have an optimization chart for height and land angle based on club head speed on their website. It's right there under their blog when they talk about seven iron and why they why they use a lot of those in fittings. Uh, that's one way to look at it as well. Because if you're above or below those optimals, and they, uh, Ping makes a great fitting chart, like it's it, they're they're. They've I done a lot of homework. They've done a lot of homework, and I see them at, at, at all kinds of agnostic fitting centers, so um, or just as training tools for other fitters. So for the fact that they put that out in for consumers to look at, if you're above that optimal or below that optimal, that's a good chart to look at based on your club head speed. Uh, but the club head speed rule is one that like I think helps simplify it. But yeah, to your point, you can you can get a six hundred to one hundred feet. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I mean, so one thing that you can't take into account is the human element, right? So, I mean, different dynamics produce different results. So if you have somebody that has a lot of forward shaft lean and a lot of leverage through impact versus somebody that is, let's just say, for lack of a better description, flipping it or scooping it through impact, and they're adding a lot of dynamic loft and creating a high launch, low spin type of ball flight just based upon dynamics, that player is going to have a completely different result than the guy that's hitting down on it at 90 miles an hour and producing a lot of spin to create that lift. So, I mean, I always educate and train our fitters to look at a variety of different variables rather than focusing on one. So, I mean, club head speed is one small part of the equation when we're looking at different data points. 
So if you're looking at angle of attack, club path, dynamic loft that they're introducing at impact, initial vertical launch, and consistency on face-to-path relationships, strike location. I mean, you're looking at a variety of different data points to determine whether or not that ball flight's optimum. So if you're looking at launch, spin, apex height, landing angle, those are going to be the ones that I prioritize to essentially communicate to the fitter or the player whether or not that ball flight is going to give them consistent results. So, I mean, you can launch it low, but you can launch it low with a lot of spin, and then it creates rise to get to that apex height, which is going to cost you distance. Cameron Champ. <laughs> exactly. So, or you can also launch it high with low spin, which is going to get you that apex height, but it's also going to produce a much more parabolic landing angle, which isn't going to be very playable coming into a green. So there's all kinds of different metrics that we're looking at to determine whether or not that particular ball flight's playable. But just going off of what this guy said, I would say that probably in a pretty good spot. If you're curious, go to go to the PGA Tour with their shot link data, and they do a lot of track man data, I believe. Um, go look at apex height and see, like, you'll get, and we'll call it the Cameron zone. Uh, Cameron Young is, like, really, really high because he launched it high with very little spin. Yep. And someone like Cameron Champ launched it very low with a little bit more spin. Um, but they, their ball speeds are, pr- I would say, probably pretty close to each other, which is like an interesting way to think about how how they they each optimize. Yep. Good question. Okay, so we started with the man in North Carolina talking about the rollback. We'll end with the man in North Carolina talking about the rollback. And a friendly reminder: in the future, please keep these to around a minute. <laughs> Greetings from North Carolina again. Uh, they're going to kill us with this ball deal. Uh, and boo. Boo, USGA. Boo, Arne. Uh, <laughs> the guy says, oh, I see the ball going 15 yards further in the next few years. It's physics. How's that going to happen? You know, other than just some, you know, freaking acre guy, uh, I don't see 15 more yards. If they leave things as it is, it shouldn't, you know, change at all, really. You know, the ball should go where it's going now. And, you know, if they keep everything in place, I think golf's in a great space. So, boo, USGA, y'all, y'all stinking it up with this. RNA, again, uh, you know, let's, let's just, Take a step back. Let's make the game harder. You know, uh, again, nobody, nobody I know says, "Oh, I won't hit it shorter." Nobody. And you know, I'm listening to Ryan, and he's saying, "Oh, well, people won't really notice." Yeah, they will. They're going to notice difference. Don't get on RB. It sucks if they do this. Just blatantly hate it. Hate everything about it. USGA. All right, we we RNA, get, we, get, yeah, we we get really. we get yeah we get the leave we get the, the point. damn game alone. <laughs> leave the damn game alone. Yeah, yeah. I, I you know I think that's the general consensus that we're getting from from regular golfers is that they just want to be left alone to to do their own thing. And hey, I get it. You know you don't want you don't want the the USGA in your business. And you just want to be able to go out and, and play your golf ball. One thing that I will say, something else that I've been thinking about. What happens if everybody, and I mean 
the manufacturers, the weekend golfers, the professional tours, all band together and say, nah. Nah. We're good. Nah. I'm waiting for Liv to do that. I, I'll tell you what. This is, this is, to me, it's the most fascinating scenario. What happens if everybody says no? I mean, you could almost relate that to you know, when the economy's doing really well and everybody's doing really well. There's a governing body that steps in and just goes, hey, you're doing too well right now. We're going to go ahead and put some more regulations on it. Yeah. It, and I don't, I don't know. I, I don't. I'm going to do more research on this because I, I, I am curious. What I think, but it it is it, it's a, I think it's I think it's probably the the elephant in the room. Like, what if what if this doesn't make it to twenty eight before everybody just says, "Nah, man, we're good." I would. There's, I have two two like things. One is like, if you are curious, please go read the USJ and RNA's insight report. Everyone is like, you know, it's we're in the age of people read headlines and get upset. So please go read that, and it does create an outline for trends and players and AGA and club at speed and all of these different things. So please go read that, because I think what it will do is it will kind of calm down some of these, like, pitchfork comments. So that's, like, the first thing. The second part of it is, as well, I think the communication level that, that they've created is a big USJ problem, and what they should have done, and I really do believe this, and I, they probably couldn't just because at some point it would have gotten out and... Because loose lips sink ships, right? And, you know, when you see prototype products out there, someone's going to get a hold of something. What they should have done is taken, like, rather than bringing an, a, a hypothesis to this and say, changing their rules, what they should have done, and I'm sure a lot of the OEMs have already done this, but they're not going to release it until, like, you know, they're all playing the, the, the Spider-Man, like, pointing at each other, like, who's going to do it first kind of thing, um, is they should have had them produce golf balls that were conforming and not hand them out to golfers, but show them physically show them not create hypotheticals because then you could have people if imagine if they did a video, they had golfers at different swing speeds and they had a new golf ball from a number of manufacturers or whoever it was. And they, and they, you know, produce this video and said, Oh, you know what? This is a launch monitor data. This is what we saw. And I think it would have just completely like taken the elephant, like taking the air out of the balloon of like they're going to rob us of twenty five yards. It's like yeah, if you swing at one hundred twenty five miles an hour, but like let's just maybe think about like what this actually does because we don't know. And to, and to your point, I'm waiting to see. I cannot wait to get my hands on some of this product once it does come out. Well, I say we we don't we don't even know what this product looks like, RB, and that's yep. the one thing is everybody. Um, last week we ran uh, we. Or we didn't run, but we showed some data going well, the back persimmon, to the, not persimmon, back the, to the Bellotta, the, the liquid-filled, you know, wound Bellotta golf ball from the 90s against the modern the modern tour ball. And, I mean, the numbers are pretty staggering. And then somebody asked me, okay, that you know, th this data is really cool, but can you show me what the data would be between the, the new ball and the Bellotta? And I said, well, what new ball are you talking about? Because... That that hasn't been decided yet, and yep. I think that's what people need to realize. It's it's not like the manufacturers have a, a final prototype. They're yeah. they're they've been working on this, but they're not there yet. And sure, once they come out with a prototype, it'd be awesome to test it against against the Blada to see, you know, how they stack up. But 
Yeah, it's it, it is the one question that's been on my mind a lot recently, which is what happens if if the masses just say thanks but no thanks. Just remember, I know, and, and it was just on. I know it was in the magazine, but it just came out on golf.com. Let's not forget that Marty Jertsen from Ping, and we've mentioned Ping a lot this week, played in a tournament. And yes, he has access to all kinds of data, and he's a very good player. He played with three, was it three or four? Three different golf balls. Three different golf balls, depending on the wind. Understood his distance, how each one of those golf balls reacted in the wind, up like downwind, sidewind, you know, uh, certain balls, like high or low, whatever it happens to be. Knowing how much different they react, and these are all conforming golf balls that have very different flight characteristics for Marty swing, as an example. Um, so to think that you know one golf ball or one set of parameters, like if you get a low swing speed player into like an AVX, they can pick up a club, a club like that. It's insane. It's so cool, but no one on the tour uses it because it doesn't create the ball flight that they really desire. And I think that's where we're all gonna. They're not. We're, this is. Not to be political. This isn't communism where everyone's going to get the same thing. We're still going to get to pick our golf ball. We're still going to pick the one that fits us. And I think they're just trying to, like, you know, put the governor on it and then see what happens. Yeah. Um, one more thing that I did want to, because I, I got this question on, on Instagram, and I did want to get your take on it and your take as well, sir. I thought you were going to say when I'm going to make you a pizza. I did see that question. <laughs> didn't, didn't know that we had a pizza oven like, yeah. for you to make me a pizza. That'd be pretty cool. Can we expense that to the office here? Yeah, probably. I mean, we're, we're expensing Kirkland, Kirkland irons <laughs> for for our for gear purposes. Um, somebody asked if if they if we thought the the new rules were gonna gonna bring any other manufacturers into the ball space. I, I said no. I don't. I don't think it does. Doubt it. I don't see anybody. I don't. I don't really even see youth market. You know, the market share changing all that I, much. I wouldn't anticipate it. No. I would say some of the only companies that do, no, I'm not going to say only, but like the reason the big golf ball manufacturers are the big golf ball manufacturers is because they are doing their own research. A lot of these direct to consumers, not all of them, yeah, but a lot of these direct to consumer golf balls are using, are utilizing patents that are, that have overrun. They're still using multi-layer golf balls. It's not like we're going back to one golf balls, but they are utilizing golf ball technology that is 15, 20 years old. That is well past the, the patent. And it still produces a very good product. I'm not saying it's like it's a bad product, but there's a reason their prices are lower is because they are not dedicating the amount of effort and time and research and development into producing product. Whereas the big OEMs, we saw it recently at the TaylorMade ball plant. We've seen Titleist. We've seen Callaway. Bridgestone, I'd love to come see it. Because <laughs> uh, I know it's an it's, interesting one. It's yeah, like, yeah. I know that their testing facilities go right near the ball plant, so they do like yeah, they do a over, lot of really cool Covington. work there. Um, so I'd love to be able to like see how that works. Um, hey, hey, it's Rick's on too. You know, if you if I'd love to see the Japan plan, I'd love to go do that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm really selling this here, but they are the companies that are doing their own research into this. Whereas again, the other companies that are producing like factories that are producing golf balls, they might have some in-house engineers, but a lot of them are utilizing technology that is older to still produce a good product, but it's not cutting edge product, and that's the difference. Yeah, boys, this was fun. Always a good time. Always, really good. Always enjoy chopping and thank it you up. for the questions, everybody. Yeah, for sure. I always enjoy doing the... We've done it in the past, just like mailbag, but I, I do think there's something enjoyable, a little bit of fun about having the voicemails, getting some personality to it. So anyway, thank you to everybody that sent along voicemails. Uh, I think we still have a bunch more that we'll just say for future fully equipped uh, coaches. I can see him going, yeah, maybe. Maybe yes, maybe no. Well, we have a couple more. So anyway, if you want to... Send us some more voicemails. 
again, keep it under a minute if you can. And the number is 602-935-4974. Again, that's 602-935-4974. And with that, let's wrap up this fully equipped hotline edition of fully equipped. As always, if you want more, more gear goodness from us, you can check us out on the social handles. We are at fully underscore equipped on Twitter and at fully equipped golf on Instagram. Thanks as always for listening. See you next week.